The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, glory. Uh, this is Dudley. I mean, who else would it be? Well, Happy New Year to you. This is uh, going to be a, a good year for those who live in the kingdom of God and know what the, all, that's all about. Hey, I've read a book over the last year that I've been thinking about recommending to you, and I decided I would. It's uh, written by Russell Moore. It's called Onward, uh, How to Engage the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. I encourage you to read it. I think it'll spur some thinking in you that'll be healthy. It's not a book that you're going to read in one sitting, probably. You might you might be able to digest it all a little quicker than I, but uh, it made me think and re-examine some things, and so it, it took me a little longer than that. So we're offering it to you as a featured resource, and... Uh, I would encourage you to get it. And I would ask you to pray for us as we get began this new year. There are lots of things going on. It's going to be a very important year in our country. It's going to be a very important year in the kingdom of God in, in all countries. There's, there are lots of battles to fight, but I want to encourage you that our king is on the throne and he he still rules. He rules over everything that he bought and paid for. And as we look around and see so many things deteriorating and seemingly falling apart, sometimes it's easy to buy into the accusations of the enemy that things are going to get worse and worse and there's nothing you can do about it. We are privileged to be partners with God and the garden that he has placed us, and there is something you can do about it. The, the gospel is powerful enough to change anyone. If it can change anyone, it can change any nation, any people. Don't fall for the uh, fear tactics and the conspiracy stuff. The big conspiracy has been explained, and that was God has been working in all of history to reveal his son and to bring the kingdom of God to the earth to inaugurate it and then let us live in it until he consummates it one day at Jesus' final return. Okay, this month I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about, well, let me just say this. I'm doing this, obviously, in December, since uh, that's the only way you can get it, 1st of January. And uh, so I'm enjoying the Christmas season. And I, I need to make a confession that I actually enjoy Christmas. I mean, not just the, quote, spiritual part of it. I, I enjoy the whole thing. I mean, I know some of you are going to think I'm just a crass materialist, but I enjoy watching people have fun. I enjoy the, the music. I enjoy watching people buy gifts. I enjoy watching people give gifts, receive gifts. I enjoy the kids uh, thinking about talking about Santa Claus, and I know Santa Claus has gotten more popularity than than Jesus and many, but I still enjoy it. And I was trying to uh, trying to determine the other day what, what is it about Christmas. I mean, yeah, 
if I think about the spiritual reality of it, God became man and greatest gift that's ever been given, of course. Yeah, I mean, who couldn't enjoy that? But but what what about all the other stuff? What 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 makes me look forward to all the stuff, even though it's it's run through with materialism and all that stuff? You know what it is? I think it's the giving. There's something about giving that's godly. God's the giver. I actually enjoyed uh, Halloween, and I know if if I didn't lose you on the Christmas thing, I probably will here because. I know there are lots of people, you know, you're celebrating the dead and you're de- you're celebrating demons and uh, scared and tear fear and all that. Well, I, I just refuse to let the devil have any days of the year. I don't believe any belong to him, and uh, I, I I love I love the kids dressing up and all their stuff. You know, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and whoever. But uh, this year, I was—I uh, got to go to a Halloween party with my with my grandkids, grandsons. You know, we have one five, one three, one two, and one on the way. And uh, so I, I got to to go trick or treating with those guys, and everybody's all dressed up in their funny stuff. And I refused to dress up as Darth Vader. But uh, the kids went around to the houses, and the people were were kind and friendly and gave them some candy and all of that. And then they got back home and they had sacks full of candy, of course, uh, that their parents obviously were not going to let them eat all of that. So it just happened that kids were still coming by their house and not and ringing the door. And so the mom, Mary Claire, said, why don't, why don't you guys help me give out candy to the kids that are coming by now? So they went to the door and they began handing out candy to the kids that were coming and trick-or-treating at their door. And uh, mom soon ran out of candy. And so the the boys started giving out of their own sacks and uh, they had saved themselves one, one piece, I think. But (laughs) after that they were giving out until they gave their candy away. And I was uh, talking to them later about it, and I said, what What was the most fun of the trick-or-treating? And they agreed that it was giving out the candy rather than getting. What, what is there about, about giving that touches something deep inside of us? We're, we're struggling with it as a, a nation right now with a uh, you, you can feel the tension in a lot of people as we talk about the refugees from Syria and others. There's there's that sense of we need to be cautious about just letting anyone come in to our country, particularly people who have ill intent and how they will use the refugees' vulnerability to come in and pose as refugees and then cause some kind of havoc in our country. You know, we, we're cautious. There, there's enough fear there, some healthy, some not so healthy. But on the other side, it causes tension because there's something inside of us that says, I, I want to give. I, I, I want to, uh, I want to share. I, I, I want, I want to touch that, whatever that is, that part of, part of me, that part of God, that part of reality that, that comes alive when you give. 
Now, you know, it's, it's always interesting to, to look at the politicians who, you know, who want to take care of the poor with, uh, with the taxes, and they claim to really love the poor and want to take care of them, but they always try to get out of paying taxes. So, now if they substituted that by personal giving a lot, and they gave a lot of their own stuff, and, and so it was private giving and charity, then I could I would could believe them a little bit better. But uh, if we look at the statistics, we see that many, many of those who are so insistent that the government take care of the poor from the tithe taxes that we pay, and yet they don't want to pay taxes, and they are also not giving privately. I, I kind of doubt that they're getting in touch with the giving thing that God wants us to experience. Let's, let's talk about this. This is one of those areas where the coming of the kingdom of God is, is so different from the mores of the culture that, that when you start talking about money or wealth or riches, uh, people's eyes just kind of glaze over it and, and they go back to they go back to believing whatever the American civil religion form of Christianity has taught them. Uh, it's like, yeah, Jesus is good for heaven and he's good for forgiveness, but buddy, this money thing is a total different deal. And when you talk about the economics of grace, people have a hard time getting a hold of it. I mean, it's, it's kind of put in a category of the untouchable. It, it's, uh, it's like, don't mess with that. I've got that in my category and I don't want anybody messing with it. But I'm telling you that when the gospel captivates the human heart, the human heart is changed to being a giver. In the wisdom literature, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, one of the Proverbs of Solomon says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Just an observation that uh, Solomon, the wise man, made about this nature of giving. It, It shouldn't surprise us if, in fact, we believe that God, that we, in salvation, we enjoy the same life that God has. If we enjoy his life, then we should enjoy his nature. If we enjoy his nature, we, we, would, in, we would enjoy giving. You see, God, is a, he's a giver, he, he, not just when he gave his son, but, but he's a giver. He, 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 was, he showed his generosity when he created. God didn't have to create. There wasn't anything he needed. He didn't create in order to fulfill a need in himself. He created because he wanted to give himself to some creations who would have the capacity to enjoy him as much as he enjoyed himself, as much as the Father enjoyed the Son and the Son the Spirit and the Spirit the Father and so forth. So so creation is an act of generosity. So when Adam and Eve sinned, it was 
God's generosity that provided skins for for covering their shame. Uh, Even when Cain killed Abel, God put a mark on him so that others wouldn't kill him. Uh, That's generosity. And and then when when the earth became so polluted that it should be destroyed and was destroyed, uh, God uh, appeared to Noah and, and selected Noah and his family so they could be a seed that would start a whole new race. Uh, that was God's generosity. It was nothing in Abraham, Abram as he was then, he was a polytheist. And God in his generosity went and revealed himself to this polytheist and showed him who God was and Abraham became the father of of the faith, the father of this this people of God, Abraham and Sarah, you know, had a had a son Ishmael by their own doings, but but God even gave to Ishmael, though he was not the promised one and would not be the heir through whom the final seed would come. He was blessed. He was given nations and people. After Abraham's descendants went down into Egypt and uh, served down there for 400 years. It was God's generosity that brought them out. It was, it was nothing else except that he went and worked it out through Moses to deliver the children of Israel, well, from the descendants of Abraham, from Egypt, and put them in the promised land and gave them the law. They, he didn't have to, but God gave them the way to live if you're going to live with him. And so he gave them the law and says, this is what, this is how you live if you live with me, if you live in my kingdom. That, that was an act of generosity. They, uh, they lived for about 300 some years with God as their king, but they kept on getting in trouble and God gave them judges. Every time they'd get in a mess, he would raise up a judge who would come and vindicate his people and deliver them. Then they wanted a king, and, and God gave them a king. He, first of all, he let them pick it, uh, pick the king, and they didn't do such a good job. Then God, out of his own generosity, gave them a, a good king. He picked one for them, and he gave them David. You know the story, after David and Solomon, his son, passed away, the kingdom kind of began to disintegrate under the sons of Solomon, and they wound up in exile, but God in his generosity causes them to be delivered. He, he moves upon Cyrus, the Persian king, who allowed them to, at least a remnant of them, to go back to, to Israel, back to Jerusalem. But then, after 400 years, God's generosity stepped up a notch, if you will, and God sent Jesus. God became a man. In Jesus Christ, Jesus lived out the righteousness of man, lived righteously before God, died, was buried, resurrected, ascended the right hand of the Father, all in order to restore man. Then God, uh, the Father and the Son, sent the Spirit, what a gift, to live in man so that man could actually live the life of God. And who is that spirit, this Holy Spirit that lives in us? He is the same spirit that caused God to create in the beginning, or the same spirit that was with God in the creation in the beginning. It's the same spirit that was with God in 
and all that he did in the Old Testament and all, all the workings of kings and prophets. And it was the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It was the spirit of life, the very life of God that he gave to us so that we get to share the life of God. And the life of God is a giving life. Now, one reason God can be generous is that he has unlimited supply. You say, yeah, 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 that, that's right. So, I mean, if I were God, I'd give too, because, I mean, he, he's got everything, and if he needs anything, he can just make it. But, but you see, I, I, I only have a limited amount. No, you're, you're misunderstanding. See, when you share the life of God, his resources are made available to you. That's why Jesus was able to, to say to his disciples, I'm going to the Father, but I'm going to send another, the Holy Spirit, who will come. And at that time, you ask the Father and he'll give to you. He has unlimited resources. Wouldn't it be interesting if we saw ourselves in reality as God's delegates who are his hands through which he does what God likes to do, which is give. He, he likes to bless. He likes to give. And if we are his delegates, then we have the privilege of giving out of his resources. Uh, th- there is no zero-sum supply. That There's only a certain amount of resources out there. And if you get more than your share, then I get less than my share. And so we have to fight over it. That's how sin perverted the whole thing. But that's not how God has established his kingdom. You see, sin introduced fear into the whole thing. See, the fear that makes makes us go after idols, because these idols promise to give us security, significance. And so we wind up accumulating stuff and perpetuating our, our wealth. and so, so sin has messed up the whole thing. And then it brought greed into the whole picture. And, and that, 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 that even messed up our concept of work. You know, when, when, you, when you don't understand the grace, the economics of grace, then work gets distorted and, and people work for money. Well, if you work for money, money's your boss. It's not a good way to go about it, I would say. God intended Adam and Eve and all the rest of us to work as God's partner. And that means that everything we do, we do it to the glory of God in Christ. So uh, whatever work we do, it, it is an expression of our worship. It's something we do as God's partner, and we depend upon him for the resources for it and for the guidance and wisdom in doing it. When we work that way, work is its own reward in the sense that when when you do work for God, uh, that work itself is a sacrifice or it's an offering to God. And the value of the work itself is is reward enough. You, You you get to do something, make something, create something that is your offering to God and and the work itself has value. When we when we when we work properly, we trust God to pay his workers based on his values, on his value system. 
see, in our world, that is, in the world of the temporal, in the world where where uh, greed still rules and where fear still rules, then we value those those things that uh, entertain us, uh, that, that that bring us some sense of security, significance, but we don't seem to value the things, the real things. Like we don't value teachers very much. We don't we don't value people who are actually doing the work that that maintains our lives. We don't we don't value we don't even value ministry very much. It's one of the reasons in Galatians 6, when Paul is talking about walking in the Spirit, sharing this life of God, one of the six imperative verbs in Galatians 6 is, share with him who taught you, share with him in all good things. What's he saying? He's saying as as you share the life of God, you're going to value those who poured their life out to teach you spiritual things, to introduce you to God, to help you walk in learning to hear God, to interpret God, and to those who who poured themselves out for you, you're going to value that more than you value someone who throws a football down the field or is a good actor or actress or so forth. So we, we live in a world of upside-down values, and so therefore a lot, of the, a lot of the things that God values are not supported very well, even by his, his people. Why? Because we have not allowed the economics of grace to invade our culture. We are still operating like those around us who value the temporal rather than the eternal. So Paul's instructions to Timothy, young Timothy, was, you know, warn those who, are, who desire to be rich because even the desire to be rich will open you up for all kind of trouble, for all kind of temptations. Listen, listen to what he says here. This is First uh, Timothy six. Um, let me see where I want to break in here. If anyone teaches a different, this is verse three. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit, understanding nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Notice he didn't say the rich fall into temptation. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. The instructions of the New Testament are about how to how to manage, how to steward this this desire, this compulsion inside of us to to give, and how to avoid what a godless culture would value, and that is the accumulation of things in order to be try to be secure or significant important or powerful. Contentment is the reward of working properly. Contentment. Having what you what you need to get done, what you've been told to do. When when you do that, then when a person is content and they get extra provision, their first thought is to sow, to give. The first thought is not to is not to accumulate more. That, that that's what the rich young ruler did. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to save him for a moment because I want to use him to make a, another point. But uh, here, here's what God is saying to people: to the homeless, to the to the to the jobless, to those who have a job, to those who wish they had a better job to those who are in debt and trying to work two or three jobs. What God is saying is that God is hiring. He's hiring. And when you work for him, you're paid by him. Remember the parable that Jesus told about the the master who needed some work done and he went out and hired some workers and he, he made a deal with some guys early in the morning and he promised to pay them a day's wage and so they went to work, and then he hired some later on in the day, and then uh, and and so he said, "I'll pay you whatever's right." And then later on, just before closing time, he hired some more, and everybody worked what they were told to work. And at the end of the day, when they came to get their pay, everybody got the same. And the the guys who were hired early uh, began to complain, and they said, "We worked all day." And we only got a day's wage, and these guys only worked an hour, an hour, and and they got the same thing. And the master's response is, "It's my it's my stuff. I can pay them whatever I want." So so when you when you begin operating in the new kingdom that has arrived, when you begin sharing in the life of God, you actually operate on a new economic system. God's hiring and he pays his workers according to what they need not necessarily according to how long they worked that's uh, obviously not not to be used to justify laziness or whatever so so the big question for for all of us is no matter what state we're in whether we have a job don't have a good enough job we don't have a job, whatever, is what can I do with what I have right now? What do you have? You say, I don't have anything. Well, you sure, you've got something. You've you got your own creativity. You, you've got something. Uh, what can you do with it? What can you do with it that would honor 
God. It would make Jesus famous. What can you do with it that would bless others? What, what can you do? If you are really his delegate and you are actually sharing his life, then you can start by doing whatever you would be doing if you had plenty of resources. So sin gets into the whole mix. And then, so, so what does God do? Let's, let's go back to the narrative here. What does God do? Well, God institutes a kindergarten. If you listen to Paul, Paul in Galatians 4 says that God gave the law as a schoolmarm, as a, as a kindergarten, if you will, to, to prepare a people who are living under his law to prepare them for faith, to prepare them for a mature life where they could live by faith. Now, in this kindergarten, God gave a covenant that said, if you will live by these stipulations, you'll be blessed. If you violate these stipulations, you'll be cursed. And so he gave the stipulations they were to live by. And those stipulations included every aspect of life, even the handling of money, and certainly the the responsibility that every member of Israel, every member of the nation, would have some responsibility and ownership in t- taking care of the temple, taking care of the Levites, taking care of the charity situations, and taking care of the functions of this theocracy. So he instituted a system of tithe and feast. And so when Israel began to ignore the covenant, then bad things, curses began to happen. And in Malachi, he, he, he addresses specifically the whole issue of Israel's ignoring their responsibility to keep up the temple, the storehouse, the the place where they brought the tithes, which were more like a tax, to to take care of the nation, to take care of the Levites, to take care of the temple, take care of those in special need. And so he said, because you're ignoring this, then then, uh, you're going to experience curses. And if, if you want to repent, then change your attitude, change your mind, and start bringing the tithes in. Now, the interesting thing is that a lot of people in the uh, Christian church have taken this kindergarten teaching where God was giving the law in order to show man that he could not live up to the law. He could not be obedient enough in order to be blessed because it takes 100% obedience to get blessing from God. God does not bless partial obedience. So this kindergarten school that God had them in was he gave them the law and said, if you'll obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. But all of that was to prepare them for the day when they finally said, we can't do it. And God says, okay, good. Now that you see that, I'm sending somebody in your stead who can. And so he sent his own, he became a man himself. Jesus was the son of God who came and 
he lived up to the right. He was, he was fully obedient. He lived up 100% to the righteousness of God. He took the curses of our disobedience so that we could live by faith. We could live by trusting in him. Now, some have not taken the uh, continuity of that old and moved over to the New Testament. And so they still impose a kind of tithe on on Christians, kind of an obligation thing, a, a fear thing. If you don't tithe, uh, he'll, rele- he'll release the devourer upon you. If you do tithe, he will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. And and so this this whole you know storehouse tithing thing that got popular some years ago, where uh, Christians, even living under the new covenant, are to bring all their tithes to the to the church or the local church and and that's the storehouse. Well, of course, that's not the storehouse. Uh, that's not e- equivalent to the storehouse of the Old Testament that took care of some national things and all kind of stuff. The truth is, uh, those of us who live in America, we we do pay a tithe. We we pay a tax. We pay an income tax. Uh, uh, I, I don't know that a lot of people are excited about it. There's not a lot of joy in it. A- April 15th is not a celebrated day. It's more a dreaded day. But, but uh, yeah, we, we're taxed to take care of a lot of things. Uh, the government... Uh, welfare, charity, uh, a bunch of other stuff. Thank God, in, in our country, the government does not pay the Levites, does not pay the, the ministers. But it's mixing that old with the new that has created a lot of uh, misunderstanding and misapplication of Scripture to what it means to live by grace, to give by grace. Uh, so th- there's a lot of focus on, you know, the, the giving principle that, uh, if you give, you get back. And if you, if you give the first fruits, all of that is good stuff. Uh, it, 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 it all of those were shadows pointing toward the reality, the, the, the fact that God instituted a tithing system for them to, to give was God saying, everybody that's a part of the group needs to participate. This is your responsibility. This is your privilege. You need to participate in it. And uh, that's a good principle. The first fruits concept is like, yes, God's agenda always should be priority. That should be considered before any other agenda. As you give him the first fruits, you are recognizing that he owns everything and that he is the one who will guide you and how you handle the rest. But but just to live by the principles of sowing and reaping and blessing and cursing and all of that, that that's kindergarten stuff. You see, the gospel does more than just tell us the principles of how to make the the earth work. The principles, the rudimentary elements, it's called in the scripture. Those elementary principles that uh, he, he mentioned in Genesis 8, 22, after the flood. God said, I, I won't destroy the earth anymore. I, uh, but as long as the earth exists, there will be rhythms. There will be principles 
uh, sowing, uh, seed time and harvest, uh, cold and heat, and summer and winter, and uh, day and night, dark and light. So, so he's saying there, there are principles that govern the earth as long as it's here. But the gospel is not just about those rudimentary principles. It's about something much bigger. You see, the rich young ruler that I began to talk about a while ago, you remember him? He was the farmer that had discovered how to use the sowing and reaping principle very well. And he was making creation work because he was sowing and reaping and he wound up with barns. All of his barns were full. Everything that he had planned to make, he made and more. And he had a dilemma. What shall I do now? He said, I've, I've got more than my barns can store. I know what I'll build bigger barns. And then I can, then I can be secure. I can say to my soul, take it easy. Everything's secure. And God's evaluation on that was, you're a fool. Tonight your soul will be required of you. Uh, you, you can't shore up against God. You can't shore up against death. You can't, you can't shore up. I mean, uh, being a wise handler of stuff and saving and inventing. Yeah, but my point is, the gospel does more than tell you that if you sow, you'll reap. If you'll give, you'll get back. It changes your heart so that you're not just sowing to reap. You're sowing because there's something inside of you that wants to give. And the fact is, when you give and it does come back, you want to give more. So so giving becomes an issue rather than accumulating or getting or, or moving up the ladder in your, your own significance or your own security. So, so grace liberates us and empowers us to overcome the greed, the materialism, the fear, the, the, the need to accumulate and perpetuate our own wealth. Probably the, uh, the greatest text in the New Testament regarding this is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And I, I'm going to read a little bit to you. He says in this, 2 Corinthians 8, and here's a situation. Uh, the, the Christians in Jerusalem are going through some tough times. And so Paul has been traveling around, and he's told some of the churches about it, and they they have taken up a, a pretty significant offering to help alleviate uh, what's going on in Jerusalem. And he calls it the grace. I want you to listen to this, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and the extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Well, let me finish reading. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, 
but to to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, do you get here what he's saying? First of all, I want you to, to notice these people in Macedonia. They heard that there was going to be an offering, and yet they themselves were in dire poverty. They didn't even have enough for themselves. But they heard they were taking up an offering. And so Paul evidently had said to them, no, you guys don't need to give. Uh, There's some people who have more, and we'll just let them give here because you, 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 uh, you're, pretty, you're pretty bare. You're pretty barren. You, you don't have anything right now. And they almost got mad with Paul, and they begged him earnestly for the favor of taking a part in the relief of the saints. They were begging to give. You're not going to leave us out, they said. This is a great privilege for us to share, to be delegates of God, the life that we have in God. This Jesus, that though he was rich, became poor for us, we might have his riches. We've got his life in us. We have to give. You cannot steal this opportunity from us. You must let us give. And Paul was pretty impressed with those guys. And he said, I believe they're getting it. I I, I don't believe they're living in kindergarten anymore. I don't don't believe they're living under the laws that were preparing us for for, uh, maturity, preparing us for for grace. I, I believe they got it. I believe they are living now by faith. I believe they're enjoying their life with God. And uh, so he goes on to talk about it later. And so he says this, chapter 9, in the same context. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that always having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound to every good work. As it is written, he's quoting now from the Psalms, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So so he says this. Uh, you sow and you reap. That, that's a true principle that always works. But when you reap, you have some seed for sowing and some seed for making bread. If you make bread out of your sowing seed, then you are stealing from your, from your own stomach. There, there's some for sowing and some for bread. Now, what Paul is saying is when you have been captivated by this life of Christ who gave his riches for us, became poor so that we could have his riches, when this gets a hold of you, you will be wanting to increase not the stuff you make bread out of, you want to increase the amount you, you sow. You want to multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It is my prayer that this year, you and I and all who hear this will 
make Jesus famous in every expression of grace. As he said earlier in chapter 8, I want you to excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in this act of grace. What? Of giving cheerfully of begging to give, of longing to give, of making generosity a uh, a continuous goal. You can, it's his desire that we are able to give to every good work. What, what is a good work? Well, a good work is one that promotes the purposes of God. And of course, the thing that that the purpose of God is the gospel. When you promote the gospel, the real gospel, you are you're giving to a good work. When you give to bless those in your garden, to edify them, to help them to walk with God more, more fully, more clearly, with greater understanding and appreciation, as you pray for them and as you work with them, those that God has given you in your garden, those friends, those neighbors, those family, and then there's, of course, some for, for your own food, for your own bread. That's a good work. God wants it taken care of. The poor, taking care of the poor, get, giving to the poor. Uh, being Then giving to those things that are efficiently and effectively doing something that others are not doing better. There's so many things that the, the local churches do so well. But the local churches do not do everything that needs to be done that, that's under this all good works thing. I'm grateful for the many other ministries that, that spring up to add to what God is doing amongst his people and in the world to carry out his mission. I'm grateful in recent years for the men's ministries and women's ministries that have stretched forth it. And for years, the ministry to college students and high school students and so forth that many churches just weren't able to do. And the missions things, the the, uh, the, the outreach, the, the discipleship stuff, there's so many ways, so many places that you could be investing and releasing this desire to give. I remember hearing a story years ago. And it was so close to my own story that I, I remembered it. It seems that there was several kids who whose parents didn't have enough to buy them the toys and so forth that they wanted, particularly a bicycle. They had all wanted a bicycle. They'd seen kids around the playground riding bicycles, but this particular group didn't have any. And they didn't whine about it. They just longed for one. One day, as they were playing, they saw a shiny black car drive up. A man stepped out and called one of the boys over to him. He said to him, I am an uncle from Michigan, and you don't know me, but I know you. You're my nephew, and I brought you a gift. And he goes around and opens the trunk of the car and pulls out a brand spanking new boy's bicycle. The young boy is so excited. He gets on the bicycle and begins to ride around. He's shouting for joy. 
Two of the other boys were over on the swing set. One of them looked at the other one and said, Boy, I wish I could be an uncle like that. That's what grace does to your heart. It takes the focus off of the bicycle that you want for yourself and puts it on the privilege of giving. For that's the very life of God. And that's a life God has given to you. And that's the economics of grace. Father, I pray that you would cause us this year to not only give, but to enjoy it. I thank you that you have committed yourself to us, that you would supply whatever resources we need to do what you've told us to do. We just want to be busy working for you. I pray that you would uh, help us discern the difference in the way the worldly system evaluates work, evaluates money, evaluates wealth. Help us discern the difference in that and how you do it so that we can be a light in a dark culture, that we can be solutions to it in a greedy world and that we can meet the needs of a lot of people who right now don't have much, knowing that one day they may be the ones giving to us. Thank you so much for your generosity toward us in giving yourself. And thank you for the privilege of letting us be generous. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S. Dot com.